I'm gonna jump right in this morning because I, I actually have quite a lot to say, which won't shock any of you. Um, but I'm gonna start off this morning with a resource that I just wanna share with you. As we have been going through this series, The Theology of the Body, you might be feeling like, oh, I need to work through some of the stuff that's coming up. And I am always a big proponent of talking about therapy from the pulpit, talking about um, how important that is often in our lives. Now, I know some of you here, you're like, I got a therapist, I see them every week, I'm like, awesome. And I know for some of us, we're like, ah, we don't do therapy in my family, or I had this one bad experience, I don't wanna try again. So I just wanted to throw it out there as a resource. There's a couple of places that we as Reality SF recommend um, here in the Bay Area that you can go to to find a therapist, and it may be a great next step for you. I'll just share that with you. So the places we recommend are Christian Counseling Center, and for the sake of the podcast, I'll give the websites. That's Christian christiancounselingcenters.org, and then there's Christian Psychotherapy, uh, sfchristiancounseling.com. So if after this service or you know, later on you're like, you know, I really needed that resource, you can go back and li listen to the podcast and you can grab that. Okay, the title of my sermon today, Trauma, Our Body, and the Hope of Glory. As David said a couple of times throughout this series, when we stand up to preach, we are ministers of the gospel. So our, our job is to point you to Jesus, lead you to Jesus, that's my goal today. I am not a therapist. Um, I have consulted with a therapist and I'm drawing from a lot of mental health professionals that I've listened to and read, really respect their work, but this is not a trauma workshop. This is a sermon that I'm gonna attempt in the next 37 minutes to lead you to Jesus. So um, I'm also drawing from my own experience leading a nonprofit here in San Francisco, working with women, many who have been through really vulnerable, um, disturbing kind of situations and have faced their own trauma. And so I spent a lot of time talking about trauma through my career and also working through vicarious trauma, secondhand trauma, just from being in those environments. And I'm a woman here on the stage who has experienced trauma in my body and against my body. So I am wearing a whole bunch of hats today and I'm gonna attempt to take us on a journey. I'm gonna take us on a journey, which is really kind of a macro, a micro journey of a, a larger, more macro journey that I think God is taking each of us on. And that is a journey where we name and acknowledge the impact of trauma on our lives, that we are able to grieve its damage and then fix our eyes on Jesus and the hope of glory and on the healing that Jesus paid for on the cross. Now I'm fully aware that as soon as you start talking about trauma, it kind of sucks the air out of the room. And it's gonna be a little bit of a deep dive, the first half of this sermon. And I just wanna say, if you can stay with me, I will bring us back out. We are gonna go on this journey, but I'm gonna take us down and I'm gonna bring us back out and we are gonna end in a place of hope and a place that's focused on Jesus. But I also know that some of you here, you're like, this is the sermon I've been dreading. This is the topic that I knew they would cover and I just feel really uncomfortable, even in my body. What is she gonna ask me to do? I'm not gonna ask you to do anything. I want to, as the best as I can, like kind of pastorally steward this space, that you would feel safe here, that you would feel like you can just be here and listen. But if you need permission to just step back, go outside and take a breath, you have full permission to do that. Just show up however you can this morning. 
But it's important that we touch on this because for us to fully appreciate what Jesus paid for on the cross, we also have to name what was lost and the pain in our life. So that's what we're gonna do this morning. I'm gonna start in John 19. This scripture is taking place kind of in the middle of Jesus's last week. Like here, we've had the passion leading up to his crucifixion. At this point in the story, Jesus has died and this is his burial. Says later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. The place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're here with us today. Thank you that the presence and the power of God is available to each one of us. Holy Spirit, I wanna just ask that you would meet those who are maybe new here today, who are maybe visiting and thinking, whoa, what did I just step into? Just pray that you would meet them, bless them, help them connect the dots of this journey that we've been on. Lord, I specifically also pray for anyone here today that's just like, oh man, this sermon, I'm not sure if I'm ready for it. Pray that you would ease our anxiety and our fear in Jesus' name and that you would bring comfort. And I also, Lord, wanna ask that you would seal this room with your blood and that you would silence the voice of the accuser, the liar, the thief that comes to steal, kill and destroy in Jesus' name that he would have no authority here, but God, that we would hear your voice and only your voice in Jesus' name, amen. In the opening chapter of her book, Breaking Free from Body Shame, Jess Connolly writes about a memory as an eight-year-old child. She tells a story about going to a family wedding. She tells a story about being on the dance floor and dancing with other kids. She's eight, she's having a blast. She says that in the car ride home, she's laying in the back of a car, parents are driving, she loves her parents, feels loved by her parents, just a really safe moment. And in the midst of that moment, she is reflecting on the wedding and the dancing. And the fact that she became aware that she has a few more pounds on her body as an eight-year-old girl than maybe some of the other kids at the wedding. She tells a story about how she lays in the back of the car and she just begins to think that she wishes she didn't have those extra pounds and begins to imagine like what if it were possible for a laser to just kind of go along her little eight-year-old body and take away some of the things that she doesn't like. She says she prays to God silently and says, God, could you, could you change my body? And this will just be our secret. It's you and me, God, like it's changed me to be how I want to be. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe there's something about your body that you wish you could change. Maybe you have memories of being a child and just having this realization of like, there's something about my body that I don't like and I wish it was different. There's a story that you have about your body that you tell yourself 
This is good, this is bad, I don't like this, I wish I didn't have this, is a story we tell. My friend Christy gave me permission to share her story here this morning. She also told me a story about when she was eight years old. And she said that it was the first time she realized that other people had opinions about her body. She told me about how her grandfather came home from a vacation with a gift for her. And he handed her this gift in front of the whole family. And he thought it would be a great idea to give her a t-shirt that said, I'm not fat, I'm fluffy. And she said she looked around the room as an eight-year-old child and thought, am I fat? Does everybody think I'm fat? Is everybody thinking these things about my body? And everyone kind of awkwardly muffled, commented, laughed, like no one knew what to do in that space. And all she could think of, is this what everyone's thinking? Is this the story they're telling me about my body? I think we're all aware that other people have opinions about our body. Whether it's family, whether it's friends, whether it's culture or media, there always seems to be a story about our body that somebody else has. And the stories we tell ourselves and the stories other people tell us are important, but today I want to talk about the stories that happen to us. Today I want to talk about trauma. The English word trauma derives from the Greek word traumaticus, and it means wound. It means injury, rupture, damage, harm. This is what that word trauma, where it comes from, from wound. And I want you to keep that tucked away as we talk this morning, because that's gonna be important. And there's a few different definitions of trauma out there, but the one that we're gonna use today is that trauma is an emotional response to a terrible situation that overwhelms an individual's ability to cope. Trauma is what happens in us when something comes at us in life and we don't know how to handle it. We don't have the tools for it, it's overwhelming. We don't know what to do and we end up thinking like, it's all over, There's nothing, I got nothing here. I can't change this, this is too much for me. That's what happens when life comes at us in that way. Dr. Kurt Thompson, who many of you may be familiar um, with, with his work, The Soul of Shame, he has a, a podcast that I highly recommend called Being Known. Season four is all about trauma. And in that podcast, he identifies three forms of trauma. Number one, the things we never received. The things we never received. He tells a story about a young man who grew up in a home where both parents were heroin, heroin addicts. And as a young child, elementary age, he just had to survive. His parents were unable to give him the emotional support, the presence, the affection, like his whole job was to survive and also to help his younger siblings survive. So he learned to cook meals and to care for his family and to just get it done. He didn't get the things that he needed. And then when he grew older, he married this incredible woman who was emotionally available and accessible and was like, hey, I've married a guy. It's gonna show up for me. But he had nothing to access because he's the get it done guy. He's the guy that survives and pushes through. Wait, you want me to emotionally connect with? Like, I don't even know how to do that. You see, trauma can come in the ways, like the things that we never 
received. Then there's singular trauma, things that happen to us that shouldn't happen to us, a singular incident. It could be a traffic accident, a fire, an assault, a sudden death of someone you love or you witness something devastating. When I was pregnant with my youngest, I had a car accident. Someone came up behind me at um, Masonic and fell and uh, hit me from behind. And you know, car accidents are traumatic in general, but when you're, you're pregnant and your belly slams up against a steering wheel, it's terrifying. And to this day, eight years later, whenever I drive past that gas station right on that corner, all I can think about is that accident, and I find myself furiously looking in the rearview rear mirror. Am I safe? And my body remembers that trauma. And the thing about this is sometimes the same incident can happen to two different people, and they have two different responses. And then we can find ourselves playing the game of comparison. Well, what's wrong with you? Why does that bother you so much? That happened to me. It wasn't that big of a deal. Or this is nothing compares to like what that person's been through. This, this is important to talk about. We begin to play the comparison game. It's a dangerous game to play with trauma. And then there's complex trauma. This is the kind of trauma that happens to us over long periods of time. This is sexual abuse, chronic sickness, domestic violence, this kind of trauma that just makes you feel like nobody understands you. No one will ever know you because you feel so defined by what's happened to you over this long period of time. And it's just like, you just, there's nothing you could do. Maybe you were a child and you had no agency to change anything. Dr. Thompson goes on to talk about the two pillars of trauma, which are powerlessness and overwhelm. This is what happens in our bodies when we experience these kind of events. We feel like there's nothing I can do to change this. I have no power in this moment and that is overwhelming. What do I do with that? What do I do with that? Harvard Public Health Magazine in an article titled The Age of Trauma lists a lot of things that's going on in our time. Global pandemic, police violence, political upheaval, climate crisis, and the opioid epidemic, just to name a few. And they go on to talk about how there's this pileup of trauma that's happening around us. It's like the water we swim in combining with the trauma that's happening in our own lives. And our anxiety and depression are just going up and up and up. They say in 2019, only one in 10 people said that they felt anxiety and depression. And just one year later, four out of 10. Trauma impacts our life. And when it impacts our life and we experience that, that powerlessness and that overwhelm, it's like, I don't know what to do with this in my body. I just, I wanna get away. I wanna, I wanna stop this feeling. And what some of us do is we end up feeling so deeply unsafe in our own bodies. It's like, how do I shed this? How do I, how do I step away from this overwhelming feeling? And for some of that, that manifests as disassociation. This is a psychological term used to describe disconnecting from full engagement with your body and the relationships around you. And that book I wanna highly recommend that's up on the screen, Unwanted by Jay Stringer, How Sexual Brokenness Reveals Our Way to Healing. If you need a book that just really brings together trauma and sexual brokenness, that's your book. 
disassociation, when we just have to step back to survive from our bodies. We find ourselves now, our minds wandering off. We can't connect. It feels like we can't embody and show up and be present because we learned to survive by just pulling away. And then you come into reality, San Francisco. Hey, y'all, we're doing a, a theology of the body series. They're like, wait, am I supposed to like feel like I'm in my body? Because I learned how to get out of my body and now I'm supposed to be in my body and it's just so hard. This is what our bodies do when we feel overwhelmed. But it's not just that we wanna escape our body and, and leave it behind and somehow disconnect, but it's the fact that our body actually holds the trauma. In the very famous book, The Body Keeps the Score, by Bessel van der Kolk, he says, research from new disciplines has revealed that trauma produces actual physiological changes, including recalibration of the brain's alarm system an increase in stress hormone activity, and alterations in the system that filters relevant information from irrelevant. We know that trauma compromises the brain area that communicates the physical embodied feeling of being alive. Trauma changes our brain. It literally rewires us. We become hypervigilant kind of people. We're no longer able to sort between what's relevant and what's irrelevant. It's just all firing at once. It changes our imagination. Like we're no longer able to dream and believe for something more because all we can feel is the trauma and what has been and we get stuck, almost like we're glitching. Church, we can't underestimate the connection between our emotions and our body and our mind. And then it shows up in our body like phys physical flashbacks, nightmares, pain, fatigue, chronic sickness, cancer, diabetes, high blood pressure, stress, anxiety, and depression. I could go on in my research and reading, it was like every ailment, every sickness connected to trauma in our life. And then what about when our body itself is the reason and the focus for our trauma? No one knows this better than our sisters and brothers of color. In that same Harvard article, it says that racism is a major health threat. Untreated racial trauma can actually cause neurophysiological changes that make it harder for individuals to fight off infection. The constant vigilance, the stress, the need to be resilient and push through, the constant waiting for things to change, the hopelessness and the grief literally affects our bodies. Racism impacts our bodies. And then there's collective trauma. So it doesn't need to have happened to you, but if it happened to somebody that looks like you, then we can begin to carry that in our body. And we don't even have time to scratch the surface of generational trauma. It's a sad story for a Sunday morning, isn't it? It's pretty depressing, but I told you to hang with me, okay? Because the reality is our bodies are not only these places of trauma, but wonderful things happen with our bodies, right? I mean, our bodies are places of creativity and possibility. A few years ago, I was chatting with one of my children about his birth story. 
Now, I don't know what it is, why it is, but I have big children. I give birth to massive children, okay? <laughs> this particular child was 10 pounds, five ounces. Ooh, I know, we felt that one. Like, that's for anyone who's not sure, that's basically a three-month-old, right? And there was a lot, even the doctor was shocked when he came out. She's like, whoa. So yeah, I know, I felt that one. But one day I was chatting with my son and he was referring to that time that he crawled out of me. And I was like, yeah, that's cute. But like, that's not how it went down at all. So let me just remind you for a moment what the female body can do. And I tell my children on every one of their birthdays, by the way, just so you know. Like I remind them of their birth story and I teach them to honor the female body. Because you know what? That was all me. That's my badge of glory right there. Like I got you out and you did nothing. You had no part to play. <laughs> The female body, amazing. But all of our bodies are amazing. And whether you're birthing children, or feeding the poor, or creating art, or building a business, or like however you show up in the world, our bodies are these incredible places of possibility. But they're also places of pain. See, I've got two boys here on earth, but I have a child in heaven. My husband and I lost a child through miscarriage between our two boys. So I know what it's like to create life and to grow life and to experience this incredible miracle in my body and I also know what it's like to feel pain and loss and death in my body. And to some degree, all of us know that too. We know what it's like to bring goodness and beauty into the world and we know what it's like for our bodies to suffer, feel pain. This is the human experience, possibility and pain in our bodies. But church, here's the thing, it's also Christ's experience. Possibility, beauty, goodness in his body, and pain and suffering also. Author Kate Bowler says, we bear all the ruins of the lives we've lived and the loves we've endured. What a gift to have a savior who does the same. And the scripture that we opened with is the burial of Jesus. It's honestly a scripture that I have just jumped past most of my Christian life. And yet all four gospel writers tell us about the burial of Jesus. I mean, this tender, compassionate moment where these two men, Joseph and Nicodemus, take Jesus's body. And let's just step into the humanity of it for a moment because there's no surgical gloves, there's no protective gear. I mean, these two men who have just lost someone that they deeply love, and they are responsible to pick up his body, dirty, sweaty, bloody, broken body, and hold it against their clothes, and carry it, and wrap it. I mean, I was reading this scripture actually to my husband this week, because I was like, oh, I'm preaching on this, and I actually at one point couldn't finish the scripture because I was crying because I felt this moment of just like Jesus's body front and center in the story and these two men tenderly caring for it. I mean, why do all four gospel writers tell us about this wrapping of the body, this focus on Jesus's body? Why is it so important? 
And it's not just here in his burial, but throughout the whole of this week where we've been, we were looking at the, the death and the, the torture and the crucifixion, and all of that story, Jesus's body is centered. I mean, it's the whipping and the lashing of his back that would have just flung wide his flesh. It's the crown of thorns on his head. It's the nails in his hands and his feet. It's the pierced side, like Jesus's wounds are centered in this whole incredible story of his death and resurrection. Why? Why are all of them like, look at this broken body? I think it's because that broken body tells us a story. It tells us a story of everything that Jesus endured. I mean, all of those wounds show us just how deep and dark he went for us to the point that he's on the cross and he's like, my God, my God, have you forgotten about me? Like that level of trauma, that level of pain, his body reminds us. And after Jesus rises again, After his resurrection, he shows up to the disciples. And in Luke 24, it says, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It's I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he'd said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it in their presence. Jesus' resurrected body, once again centered in the story. He's like, look at me, touch me, I'm hungry. Luke is drawing our attention to the fact Jesus' resurrected body was not just a spirit bobbing around. His physical body, even after resurrection, is present. And here's the thing that strikes me about this whole thing. If I were Jesus, and I had just like, you know, I don't know, defeated the devil, death and sin, and boom, risen again, I would have upgraded. (laughs) Like... I would have been like, okay, wounds, nah. Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get rid of all the visible signs of imperfection because I am upgraded, right? Like, I would have got like some kind of ripped body where everyone's like, whoa, resurrection power. Like, that's what I would have done. But that's not what Jesus does. He doesn't like minimize his wounds. He doesn't over like, you know, like say, oh, I've conquered them. I've overcome that. I don't need those anymore. He doesn't avoid them. He brings the wounds front and center. He's like, oh, touch me right here. This place of brokenness, this scar, this wound. I want to invite you to know me in my wounds. Every single one of those places that represented injustice and violence and damage to his physical body, he doesn't remove it. In fact, he brings it right to the forefront. What a strange kind of faith we have, that we have so much focus on the physical wounds of our savior here in scripture. Pope Francis says that he invites us to enter into the mystery of these wounds, which is the mystery of his merciful love. See, Jesus doesn't remove his wounds because they tell us a story. 
And that story is, I love you. I love you. The sacrifice is ever before him and us and all of the heavenly hosts that says, I love you for God so loved the world that he sent his son. I mean, that's what those wounds, what they tell us, the story of merciful love so that when we say, Jesus, do you love me? Look at my hands and my feet. But do you really care about me and my life? look at my hands and my feet, but have you forgotten about, it feels like you forgot about me. Look at my hands and my feet, but can you heal me? Look at my hands and my feet. You see, Jesus' wounds tell us a story that says, I felt that pain. I felt trauma and I felt what it's like to be in agony. I know that. I know that experience. We don't have a God that's just sitting on a cloud being like, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna send you some healing. No, we have a God that climbed into human skin and felt what we felt and experienced trauma and despair so that when we say, but God, do you know what it's like? He can say, oh yeah. Look at my hands and my feet, look at my wounds. You see, some of us here were like, Easter's coming and you know, some people in the church get really happy clappy about Easter. And I don't, maybe I don't feel that kind of celebration. And I think for some of us, we need to remember that Easter morning celebration doesn't go around suffering, but it goes through it. So some of us here, we need to know the wounded savior before we can experience the resurrected savior. You see, some of us, we wanna skip the wounds because our wounds are so big and so significant. I just, I'm just gonna get to Easter Sunday and try and you know, clap along but we gotta go through the suffering if we wanna experience the resurrection, just like Jesus. He didn't go around it, he didn't minimize it, so I'm gonna go right through this. And some of us need to know that wounded savior to almost figuratively be like, Jesus, I need to touch your hands and your feet, and I need to like know the God that took wounds for me because it's his wounds that heal our wounds. Throughout this series, we've been reflecting a lot back at Genesis 1 and this idea of being made in God's image. It says, so God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. God saw all that he made and it was very good. I mean, this was our story at the beginning. God made us, we're made in his image and he's like, this is good, his body is good, what I've created is good. And then evil came in and said, oh, I'm gonna distort that story, a little bit of shame, a little bit of trauma, a little bit of pain in your life. But then Jesus is like, oh, you know what? I, I want you to remember your first story. So I'm gonna come and I'm gonna buy it all back by my death and my resurrection on the cross so that you can know that trauma is not your first story and it's not your last story. See, Jesus, his death and his resurrection reminds us there was something before the pain. There was something before the trauma. There was something before evil came in and said, I'll just steal that. I'll just take that. I'll just rob you of that. Jesus is like, no. Your first story has always been one of love, being made in the image of God. Affection, delight. This is your first story and it's your last story story also. See, when Jesus died and resurrected, he said trauma 
is not your first story and it's not your last one either. It doesn't define us. Jesus defines us. See, I know that some of you here, some of you, your story is like you weren't wanted. Maybe you were an accident, a mistake. Some of you have been surrounded by dysfunction in your families. Some of you have experienced complex trauma. You've had words spoken over you and you've said them yourselves. You've hated your body, starved it, punished it, obsessed over it. You've been abused and you've felt the sting of worthlessness. And you tried to tuck it all away. Like I just, I can shove that thing down, but anxiety and depression and feelings of just not feeling like connected to a body, those things just keep kind of popping up. And it feels like this is your only story. It's like we're caught in the middle, in the darkness, in the despair. This is the only story I remember. This is the only one that feels accessible. This is the one that feels most true. We're kind of caught in the middle. And church this morning, I'm here to remind us that we have a first story and a last story, and it is not trauma. It is one of love and affection. You see, goodness and beauty are coming for us. Jesus is coming for us. And church, we don't even have to fully understand it. We don't have to fully understand, like, wait, how do his wounds heal my wounds? I don't really get that. It just is true. And we don't have to understand it and we don't have to earn it. The fact is Jesus is still coming for us. And some of us, even sitting here this morning, feel incredibly powerless in some areas of our life. We just don't know how to change it. We don't know how to heal from it. We don't know if anyone will even understand it but I wanna speak to that part of your heart and say that Jesus is coming for you. Isaiah 53 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. It's because of his wounds that we can expect glory. Colossians 1.27 that says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in us and bringing with him the hope of all the glorious things to come. This is not the end here with the trauma. God is doing a new and beautiful thing. And you know what? We've been in the book of Mark recently and we've been talking about the kingdom of God. Like we can sit here and we can talk about heaven and how glorious it's gonna be and how we're all gonna be made whole. And yeah, that's fantastic. But I don't know about you, but I think the kingdom of God is here. I mean, the kingdom of God broke in and was like, you get to experience resurrection power and healing and restoration right now here in this moment. Romans 8 says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. You've heard me say this before, but if Jesus went down to that darkest place and he did defeat sin and death and the devil, then he can take us down to that dark place and he can bring us back out. See, this is the hope of glory, friends. No matter how you feel this morning, no matter what's going on in your body, even as we speak, no matter how much therapy you've done or how many things you're like, I, I, I tried all these things with you. God is doing something in us here in this church, 
in this series. And you know what? Like, we can just, we can talk about theology or we can say, God, I believe you are actually here doing the work, changing us, transforming us. I started off this sermon by telling you about Jess and Jess Connolly and her little experience in the back of the car, thinking about the things that she would change. Church, what story are we speaking over our bodies? I read on Instagram recently about a family that teaches their little children to jump out of the bath and slap their stomach and say, this body is good. And I was like, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna jump out of the shower and be like, boom, this body is good. Like I wanna change the way I talk about my body. And we can just sit here and be like, ooh, the theology, we can pontificate and all of those things. I don't really care about that. I want transformation. Like I want you to think about yourself like Jesus thinks about it because we cannot afford to have a, a thought in our brain that is not the thought of Jesus towards our body. How do you need to change the way you talk about your body? Even if it's just internal, are you blessing your body or are you cursing your body? You spend your time thinking about all these things that should be different. Oh God, I'm just, I'm, this is no good. Or would we spend our time meditating on God's love and affection and pursuit of us? Do we spend our time thinking about how changed we are by the trauma that we will never heal? and we'll never be like that person, and we'll never, never, never. Or do we spend our time meditating on God? You're the God that restores all things. Nothing's impossible. You can meet me in my brokenness, and you can bring restoration. And then what about the story that others are telling you about your body? When I started Because Justice Matters and we were doing ministry to women and girls in the city, one of the first things we did was started Nail Day. So we would start inviting women in off the street, women who were homeless, who would experience all kinds of exploitation and violence, and we would paint nails. And you know, paint nails is great, like it's fun. Who doesn't like a nice little set of nails? But what was more powerful was sitting across a table with a woman and holding her hands, and just we give a little hand massage, which is like the best part of a manicure, right? That little hand massage you get. But as we held those hands, what we did was we spoke a different story over their body. You see, their bodies had been used and abused and taken advantage of, but when we held them, literally sometimes the women would fall asleep. Because that's what happens when we as the body of Christ show up for one another and say, let me tell you your true story. I mean, I know you're stuck in the middle right here, but when I touch your body in ways that are appropriate and loving, they reflect Christ's story over you. Who tells you your story? We all need someone, whether it's a partner or a friend or a therapist, somebody that would say, wait, wait, wait. Remember, that's just the middle of your story. That was never the beginning, and it's certainly not the end. We need to be the body, speaking to each other's body, reminding us who we are. And finally, today we have communion. It's available. We have it every week. You know, um, some of us, it's just default. We're like, communion, cool, go forward, grab a little cracker and a little shot of wine, <laughs> 
And this is what we do. But church, when we do it today, I wanna encourage you, and maybe from this point on, to maybe do it differently. I mean, when they hand that to you and, and they say, you know, the body and the blood of Jesus, I want you to hold it, maybe carry it back to your seat, and just for a moment, sit with the fact that Christ's wounds heal our wounds. And as you sit with that, just imagine his wounds and the merciful love of affection. Do you love me? Look at my hands and my feet. But do you care about my life, Jesus? Look at my hands and my feet. And as you sit there and imagine his wounds, hold yours before him. Jesus, this, this is my thing. I don't know what to do with this, but I know that your word says that you can heal and you can restore. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come on up as we kind of move into a time of response.